Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This morning we're reading from Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We're going to stop there. I know I listed some more scripture, and we may get to that, but I didn't want to turn to that uh, this morning, and uh, that's my, probably my fault there. But here's what I want to say. We're, we are going to get to that text, but what I want us to understand today is get into what a deacon is, right? Why do we have deacons in the church? We have deacon nominations out there. We're going to have deacon elections. We have men that serve as deacons. We have a deacon's meeting. And so I want to get a little bit at, to the heart of what a deacon is. Last week, we looked at elders and pastors, and this week, we're beginning to shift gears to deacons. And namely this, I want you to see this. Deacons are part of God's gracious gift to the church. Do you guys know that? It is a gracious gift of God to us that we have men who have been ordained and called to serve alongside of the church. Now, as we get in the book of Acts, so we're not studying all the way through it today. We're just in Acts 6. But whenever I go into Acts, I always think of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which essentially gives us an outline of what is happening in the book of Acts. Here's what it says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my, both my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. In other words, Jesus is telling his, as he's going back into heaven, he tells his disciples, listen, power is going to come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses. It's going to start in Jerusalem. And it's going to spread out to the area around it, Judea and Samaria, to the near culture, and then it will continue to spread to the ends of the earth. And their job is to be the witnesses, those that would bear testimony and tell others about Christ. And so what we see as Acts begins to unfold is exactly that. The story starts in Jerusalem. Then it begins to expand, and then it moves into the, the known world as Apostle Paul takes the gospel to the Gentiles. And so we see that unfolding in the book of Acts. If we were to read Acts up until chapter 6, where we find ourselves today, we would have seen the preaching of the good news to the lost. We would have seen the effects that salvation had on those who repented and believed. In other words, people from all around were suddenly coming to faith, joining the new community, joining a new family, repenting of sin, and coming and becoming part of a church. They had unity. They had oneness of heart and mind, according to the text. 
They were sacrificially giving. They were, some of them were selling their property to give to meet the needs of the church. All of this had already taken place. In church, as we enter the kingdom of God, we are transformed. It changes our relationships with one another. In fact, it also brings with it quite a few commands, right? We have what we call the one another commands. We are to love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another. All sorts of commands of how we interact with each other. But with everything that they had going on as we get into chapter, chapter 6, can you imagine that there were some practical and physical needs that needed to get taken care of? I mean, we're not that big of a church, right? But are there practical things and things that we just need taken care of sometimes? And an example is when someone's in the hospital, right? We're praying for Brother Don, and we need people to, to know, hey, somebody needs our care. Somebody needs us to reach out to them and help. And that's kind of similar to what we're going to get into in Acts. Now, verse 1, if you look at verse 1 here, it says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number. And so it begins with at this time, or in these days, according to your translation. And that reminds us of what had just happened. If you go back to Acts chapter 5, verse 42, so the last verse of the previous chapter, it says, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This great multitude of people, in one day it had gone from just a few followers to over 3,000 joining. That number quickly swelled to 5,000. Okay? And now they're meeting in the temple for their larger gatherings. They're hearing the word. They're meeting for prayer. Then they were meeting in homes as they were taking meals together, probably praying together there as well in smaller type environments. All that had happened, the faith community was growing, so you can imagine, again, there are some practical and logistical issues that arose. I've talked about this a little bit here before, and I, I say that to say this. I ask you then, I'll ask you now, can you imagine what we would do tomorrow if 500 people showed up and said, hey, we're coming on Sunday? We would panic, right? I mean, we'd be like, this is fantastic, it's great, where are we going to put them? You know, do we have enough water flowing through this building for everybody? And, you know, we would ask, you know, are there enough restrooms? We would begin to ask all the practical questions immediately, right? Well, we get into the text, and that's kind of what, where they're at. So the question is, what is the issue? What is going on? What is wrong in Acts chapter 6? And it very clearly tells us right here in verse 1, it says that they were increasing in number and a complaint arose on part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So here's what that means, all right? So you guys know what the word Hellenistic means? Greek. They're Jews who had grown up and maybe in different places, maybe even there, but who had adopted more of the Greek culture and specifically the Greek language. And so while some of the Jews were speaking Aramaic at this time, others were speaking Greek. And in fact, we know a few hundred years before Christ, they had already taken the Old Testament and translated it into Greek. And so they had what they called the Septuagint, an older version of the New Testament. It's written in Greek. And so many Jews were going to synagogues where when they heard the Scripture taught, it was in Greek. And so there was a difference between languages. And think, think some of these Jews had been living all over the Roman Empire, all through the known world. Some of them may have been back in town. We don't know 
all the details there, but here's what we know. There were Greek-speaking Jews with a little bit different culture, and there were Aramaic or Hebrew-speaking Jews, and sometimes there were communication problems, right? You can imagine that, right? If we suddenly had, um, I don't know, say three or four Hispanic families that came in that did not speak English or spoke less English, there are potential there for there to be communication problems, right? And I will say this, that's especially true when it comes to Scripture. When we start talking about matters of the heart and of faith, things that are deep, these are, we're not talking about ordering food or something simple, base-level language. When you start talking about the deep things of the heart, things like God, it is difficult to communicate in a different language. But these guys missed something very practical. What does it say in the text was missing? Well, for some reason, the Greek-speaking widows were not getting help while the Hebrew-speaking widows were. And we don't know why exactly that took place. Maybe it was just a simple, practical communication difference. Some of them say if you had grown up there and you spoke Aramaic, it was your language, then you probably knew most of the widows in the neighborhood, didn't you? But you might not know someone that had just come from another part of the Roman Empire and moved back to Jerusalem. And so we don't know exactly what happened. So then the question comes up, well, why in the world is there even a daily serving of food? Well, the fact that there was a daily serving of food shows that these men and women understood that they had entered a new community, a new family, and they had a responsibility to help one another. Has anybody ever known an elderly person who was alone that needed help and did not get it? If we're honest, it's happened. And I'm not talking about just through church, but through all sorts of situations. We go through life and we recognize there comes a certain time and a certain age where some people will need some kind of support. These guys didn't have pension plans. There wasn't a retirement plan. There wasn't Medicare or whichever one it is. I, 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 get, I always get Medicare and Medicaid confused, and I don't know which one is which. But listen, they didn't have support built in to their culture, right? And if they did, as new believers, they probably had lost that support. Some of their families even would no longer take care of them. And so we notice that there's a problem here. But God had called his people to work together to meet these real needs. And praise God that he's merciful and kind and he asked us to do that. Now, this concern for widows will not go away. If, you were, if we had time today, we could read it. But know this, if you would look in 1 Timothy chapter 5, it says there that we are to honor the widows. And the widows there in that text who meet a certain criteria were to be placed on a list to be helped. Now, this suggests that over time, this becomes an organized ministry. We'll see that play out in Acts 6. But of course, in 1 Timothy 5, it actually starts by saying children and grandchildren should take care of their parents. And so it's not an automatic, if you are a widow, you must be served food by the church. It wasn't automatic, but if they met the criteria and they didn't have family to help them, if they were a widow indeed, then they got placed on the, the church list, and then the church would begin to help them. But it actually there speaks pretty harshly in different places of the text of 
family who will not take care of their family. And so it starts there, but when it wasn't possible for the family to care for the widows, the church stepped in. That's a much-needed ministry, isn't it? It's still relevant today. God values the aged. God loves those that cannot help themselves. He loves the widows. He loves the orphans. He loves and asks us to love people in those types of situations. But in verse 2, we find that there is a dilemma in the text. Let's read it again. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now, I reference Acts 1.8. They were to be God's witnesses and preach the word to the ends of the earth. But suddenly there's this ministry to the widows that needs to get done. And the, you can see almost their reasoning. How do we continue to teach at the temple and teach in homes and continue this ministry of the word and prayer, taking the gospel to even new cities and places if we're watching out for the widows. In other words, there's only 24 hours in the day. We cannot do this ministry and this one at the same time. And so they have a dilemma. What do we do? In other words, the serving needed to happen, but so did the proclamation of the good news. So what should we do? And they find a solution in verses 3 and 4. It says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In other words, the solution is this. They were to appoint more men to the task. The, the church was never meant to be solely operated by one pastor or even the 12 apostles, right? And so as we go through this text, as we look, we realize more people in the church had to step up and to serve in order for this ministry to take place. And so we begin to take a look at this as they were to be... Uh, they were to choose seven men of good reputation. They were to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. This would allow the apostles to continue to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, the word in the text here, where it says to serve tables, the word diakoneo, it's the, word, the verb form of the word deacon. It's what deacons do. They're the servants of the church, and they were to serve in this ministry. Now, we believe that these are the first deacons we find in the Scriptures. We're sort of proto-deacons. It's not quite fully explained yet. But we're going to get to that. And this is the beginning of, hey, we need ordained men, men chosen, men who will lead, men who will serve in the church. And these are how, this is how we're going to get them. 1 Timothy 3, it says that deacons are men to be men of dignity, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain. They were to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, by the way, if you were here Wednesday, we took a look at some of the qualifications for elders and deacons and kind of took those qualifications and looked at the book of Proverbs how it says and what it says about how to be those types of people. And so we looked at that Wednesday, and, and so I don't want to belabor that point this morning. But in Acts 6.3, it says we see that these men were of good reputation. In other words, the church knew these men. They knew their character. They knew their works. I could go and I could ask, well, uh, somebody tell me, what, what, is, what is Stephen like? I'm talking about this Stephen, not that Stephen. 
Right? They could ask, what is Stephen like? And they said, well, he's full of wisdom. He's full of spirit and full of wisdom. Well, maybe we are talking about this, Stephen, right? And here's the thing. We know about reputation. We know about what it is to serve alongside each other and live alongside each other. We understand each other's character a little bit, don't we? And so that's what they're looking for. And you ever wonder, you know, where, again, where it says, don't, they should not be fond of sordid gain. They shouldn't be out to make money in this position. Just like last week I talked about the pastor of the church shouldn't be out to make money. And a deacon shouldn't be out to make money. Well, can you imagine the widows are out there and they're in their home and they don't have enough food and they need help and you, you, the church has sacrificially given and they give money to these deacons and those deacons' job is to go get the food and take it to those widows. Can you imagine what would happen if they were just in it for money? And the next thing you know, those women, those widows are still at home going, hey, I have no food. And other people are like, well, I gave money so that they would have food. And they all turn around and look at that deacon. So what did you do with the money? Well, can you imagine the disruption and the disaster that that would be? And so they wanted men of good reputation. Men that they knew, men that had integrity, men that were not out to make a quick dollar. Verse 4 says we see that the apostles there will continue to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, we know this because we've talked about it in the past, but when you look at the distinction between the role of pastor and deacons, the biggest qualification difference is what? Somebody tell me. The ability to teach. That the, teaching, the deacon role wasn't a teaching role, but the, for the pastor it was. And that's kind of the distinction we find here in the text. The apostles realize we've got to devote our time to the ministry of the word and to the ministry of prayer. And it doesn't mean that the apostles never helped the widows, never served the church. It doesn't mean that deacons never taught. Because we know from the next chapter, or right after this actually, that Stephen begins teaching and sharing the gospel with people. And he's one of the new deacons. And so it's not that deacons cannot or do not ever teach but it's not the distinctive part of their role. And now, so here's what I say to this. This is why this is God's gracious gift to the church. Because it allows the church to continue to do the ministry of the word and prayer and the ministry, that, the practical ministries that need to get done. And so if you think back, even when we study in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it talks about God giving gifts to the church. In Ephesians 4.11, it mentions the apostles and the prophets. And then he mentions evangelists. And then he gets to pastors and teachers. And so those were God's gift to the church so that we would be built up. But here we also see the office of deacon being set aside. It might not be the teaching part like those other positions were. But guess what? It's just as important. It's they, these two positions go together. And so it is God's gift to us, God's graciousness to us, that not only are we allowed to go forth and continue to reach more people, but we are allowed to do the ministry within the church to our own members as well. Now look down at verse 7. And we'll, we'll go back to verse 6, actually. It says, They brought these before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. This is what we talk about when we think of ordination, right? 
It is that they brought these men before the church, and they laid their hands on them, and they prayed for these men. And what they were saying is, we approve these men, right? They meet the qualifications. These are men of character. These men are now part of us. And it is a way of, of almost affirming their authority to do this position. And we find that in the text, that they're laying their hands on them, praying for them. And don't we do that in deacon ordinations? We should, if we haven't, right? And that's something that we find in the text. It's something we find in the Scripture. And uh, we don't always know what to think about that anymore. But what it is saying is, we approve these men. You know, later in the Scripture, it tells us, don't be hasty. Don't be too quick to lay hands on someone. And then later find out they were not of good reputation. In other words, let's choose men that we know. Choose men that have been tested, as the Scripture tells us. And so that's exactly what we find here in the text. But look at verse 7. Here's the result of this. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So the end result of God's gift of the church, of he said, you know what, there are men, I'm going to call them out, they're gifted for this, I'm going to call them out. They're going to serve in the church so that the ministry of the word can continue. And this disunity, this problem will be solved, right? The problem with the widows will be taken care of. Can, I mean, all that happens and the word of God continues to spread. What do we want to happen in this community? Don't we want the word of God to continue to go forth in Forest Heights community. I was so, I was so excited in some ways to see uh, parents come and kids eating popsicles Wednesday. If you guys don't know, we, we set up and we had popsicles and, all the, and lemonade and stuff out here for free. And, and we had a lot of uh, parents just come through. And it was just kind of fun, right? Just, to, just for them to say, you know, that was really nice of you guys. Oh, there, you know, some of them in their minds, it's like, oh, there is a church over there, right? And I know you guys have done this before. I think you guys handed out water, right? And I think last year there was water, and somebody said, you guys really stepped up your game. And I was like, well, Daniel's idea. Uh, so we have popsicles and, and a little bit more this year. But don't we want even more? I'm so excited about a baptism next week, right? Because baptism is a sign that, that of what God is doing in us. That of our union with Christ, that He has rescued us and saved us. And, and we begin to see that. Isn't that what we want? Well, it takes the whole church to get it done. And we have here in the text this great example of God giving us deacons, men of God. So if you're a deacon here today, I want you to realize you are a gift to this church. And not to quote Spider-Man... That comes with great responsibility, right? And so it comes with, you've got to act out on those gifts. You've got to serve in the right way. Serve as these men would go and serve. And so we just have to continue to move forward. Continue to recognize God has called us to certain things. Called us to the ministry. And listen, if there are widows and people who really need help, and we are not serving them, we need to know. And so I ask you, come and talk to me about that. I've, one of the things we're going to talk about tonight in our deacons meeting that I know is on there is 
continuing to, to reevaluate uh, our families, who's assigned to who, and all those kind of things. And we just need to continue to do that, right? Continue to reach out so that when something happens, you guys know who you can call. And you can always call me. We're a small group, but we want to know who our deacons are, right? And we want to know that the deacons are there and serving. And we, it's just a blessing to be able to take part of that. It's not an obligation. It's a joy in the ministry of doing that. Making sure that the church runs in the way that it should and the ministries don't get missed so that the preaching of the word and the prayer that we're doing right now takes place. You guys know it takes a lot for this to happen, things that I don't think about. Somebody's got to keep the air running. Somebody's paying bills that I don't know about. Somebody's keeping the grass cut. Somebody's looking out for different people. Somebody, there's a, a supper, right? A, a church-wide meal on the 17th, and somebody behind the scenes is getting that ready, isn't there? And what that does is it frees us up to do this. And over time, it will free us up to be out there taking the gospel to the people. And I am so thankful for that and looking forward to that day so that we can look and say, like verse 7, the word of God kept on spreading. The number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Isn't that what we want? Now, i got a confession to make, right? So we were in Sunday school this morning, and we were studying O King Solomon. And we ever, Daniel asked us in Sunday school, you ever get in over your head a little bit? Have you ever been over your head and you, what do you do? How do you handle that? Do you just panic? And we all have different things to say. And Solomon prays in that prayer, God, I don't know how to lead these people. Would you give me the wisdom to know how to govern your people? Well, can I tell you as a pastor that I don't know how to do it? There's times where I look at this and I say, I want the word of God to keep on spreading and go forth. But can I tell you, I don't have all the answers. But one thing I do know is in the text, it takes us all doing this together. The men stepping up to serve as deacons and to be deacons as they are called to be. And it takes to continue to be faithful in the preaching of the word and taking the gospel to the lost. That all those things are part of this. But what Solomon did was right. And we ask, we ask another question in Sunday school of, well, you know, do we ever have a hard time asking God to help us? Sometimes we do. We feel self-sufficient. I want to tell you, God has worn me down for a number of years now. I don't have a problem asking God for help on this. Because we cannot do this ministry if God does not move. I can stand up here and teach all day. We can go door to door. If the Holy Spirit does not go before us, if we do not plead with God before we ever go into this community, guess what? It won't happen. We can be all be good men. We can be nice men and women. But if we're not full of the Spirit, we're not seeking Him and asking God to do this work. Listen, I want to do planning, right? I want 
I, we want to schedule things. And Morton, if you notice, there's more and more things popping up on the schedule, and that's going to continue. But guess what? We need to be seeking God's face, asking Him, saying, God, I don't know how to do it, but you do. Help us be faithful. And that's really what it takes, isn't it? Asking Him and being faithful to go where He leads, where the Scripture tells us to go. And so that's where we find ourselves today. In just a moment, we're going to have a moment of invitation. But I want you to just to remember that. Deacons are one of God's gracious gifts to the church. And you are one of God's gracious gifts to the church. God has given us all gifts. He's given us all talents. And so as we come to this time of invitation, I want you to be thinking, what has God called me to do? And maybe for a while it's going to mean self-sacrifice, giving of yourselves beyond what you think you could do. But it's time to answer His call. We find the clear examples in the Scripture. So let's be faithful to follow. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. And Father, it is a hard message. Because the work of the church is, is more than just what happens in this room. It's more than the teaching, but it is not less. Father, give us wisdom to know how to best serve those in our congregation, serve those who are truly in need. Father, I pray that you would call out men and women of faith to serve. Father, that you would help us to say yes when you ask us to do things. Father, I pray that we would have our deacons would be men of integrity, would be men of good reputation, would be full of the spirit and of wisdom. Father, I pray for their encouragement. I pray for their discipline as they do the ministry and the serving in the church. Father, I pray for your blessings on the deacons and their families. God, I know that it is not always hard, and sometimes it is a thankless job. But Father, we pray for your blessings on them. Father, I continue to ask this morning that you would just move with the Spirit. Help us to serve and help us to see what you're doing. Help us be part of it. And God, may the Word go forth in Forest Heights community. May the gospel go forth. May many and multitudes believe right here in this neighborhood. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.